Hey, Phantomorphs. Uh, I just wanted to have a quick pre-show note here, just so that you're not caught unawares going into this set of chapters. Um, we have new voices on the podcast, or at least a new voice. Uh, Naeem Wyatt has very is a listener who has very graciously agreed to help me narrate some of the characters in this book, which takes a pretty big load off my shoulders as far as um, this book specifically. Horkbeacher Chronicles is pretty thick. Uh, but Naeem will be voicing primarily Doc Hummy, the Horkbeacher seer, uh, which you will meet in uh, chapters three and four of of this episode. Um, I, I'm very excited about it. I hope you're excited as well. I hope you enjoy um, his voices. I think they're pretty cool. I think he reads books pretty good, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, there you have it. Just some uh, new blood in here. No more of my tired five voices. We've got a little bit more variety. So without further ado, enjoy these chapters. Chapter 2. Aldria. Andalite date, year 8563.5. Yurk date, generation 686. Early cycle. hork date, late cool. Earth date, 1968. I am the daughter of Prince Ciro. My friends tease me sometimes. They call me Ciro's unkindness. You see, I'm not like most females. I'm not content to stay within the sciences and the arts, the traditional female occupations. I don't want to be a zero-space theorist, or a grasscape designer, or a cloud artist. I want to be a warrior. I want to fight the Yurks. I know what everyone says. Females are not born to be warriors. We have smaller tail blades, more like scalpels than the great curved scythes our brothers have. But tail fighting isn't everything. Not in modern war, which is fought with shredders and ionic dispersion explosives launched from our most advanced ships. The war against the Yurks won't be about tail fighting. Besides, with the very recent invention of morphing technology, we can fight using any number of physical bodies. And many studies have shown that females are actually superior when it comes to morphing. No one listens. Not my own mother. Not even my father. Of course, my father doesn't listen to much of anything anymore. He does whatever small out-of-the-way, humiliating job he's given. He does what he's told. Which was why we were just coming into orbit above an irrelevant planet no one cared about. It was an exile, sort of. My father was being sent where he could do no harm. Transparent, I told the computer. The outer bulkhead in my cabin turned from blank gray to clear. 
Outside, I could see black space blazing with stars. But filling half my view was the planet itself. Our new home. For the most part, it looked more like some dead moon than a living planet. Much of the surface was dark, gray, sterile rock. I knew from our briefing that there was only a very thin atmosphere. It was cold. Bitterly cold. With air so thin that an endolite could expect to suffocate and die within 30 minutes. But around the equator of the planet was a strange sight. Huge, deep rifts, interwoven, interconnected. It looked as if someone had stepped on the planet, squashing it like a ripe uka melon, so that the sides had burst open. In fact, that's exactly what had happened. Millions of years earlier, a massive asteroid had hit the planet's northern pole. The impact had shattered the crust, especially around the equator. It had opened massive valleys that cut deep, deep into the planet's surface. Valleys with steep, rugged walls. The valleys were as much as 50 miles deep and held onto a rich nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere. The walls of the valleys were green. The floors of the valleys were a poisonous, eerie blue. Our sensors did not penetrate that blue mist. As we slid across the night-day line into darkness, I could see that the blue glowed. I stared down at the planet for a long time, till finally someone sent my brother to get me. The door of my cabin trilled. Yes, come in, I said. And to the computer, I added, opaque. The wall turned flat gray again. My brother stuck his upper body in. What are you doing? Let's go. Didn't you hear the announcement? The surface ship is waiting. Let's move it. Let's move it. I'm coming, Barofin. I'm coming. I said heavily. Did you look at the planet? Barofin asked. Weird looking, isn't it? It's an unusual place. I agreed. But I guess it will be okay. Mother and father will take care of us. It won't be so bad. All my friends are like 200 light years away, Barofin said. We'll be the only Andalites on the planet. We'll be okay, I said. Yeah, I guess if this planet were dangerous, they wouldn't have sent father. I should have told him to stop talking that way. But I didn't. He was right. Barofin barely spoke to my father. Barofin had taken a lot of teasing from the other kids at school. So have I. But I think it hurts Barofin more. I said goodbye to the little cabin that had been my home for two months of travel from the Endolite homeworld to this nowhere planet. I had already packed up my few personal belongings. My hollow of our scoop back on the home world. The paka doll my mother had given me when I was a child. The wish flower I'd kept from when we were hoping to have Barofin. A sullen pilot flew us down to the surface. We descended through the thin upper atmosphere, skimmed across the grey barrens, and then dropped down inside one of the massive impact valleys. 
The view through the windows of the shuttle was amazing. One second we might as well have been skimming on the surface of a very large asteroid. The next second we were surrounded by trees. The size of the valley defied description. There was nothing even close on the home world or on the York world. The vegetation was sparse and scruffy toward the top of the valley, where the air was thinnest. As we descended, mile after mile downward, the trees grew taller, the plants more lush. Pressing against the window to see straight downward, I saw that the lushness gave way to lurid, wild-colored plants near the poisonous blue bottom of the valley. Down there, things grew fuzzy and indistinct as the atmosphere thickened to the point of becoming opaque. We headed for a landing in a clearing in the trees. We were perhaps 30 miles below the lip of the valley, and another 15 or 20 miles above the shimmering, steaming blue. I kept thinking we were almost down, but then I realized my whole perspective was distorted. The trees which I'd expected to be normal-sized trees were huge. The smallest must have been 200 feet tall. The largest were 10 times that high. 2,000 feet tall, with trunks a 100 feet in diameter. The valley walls were mostly very steep. Often the rising ground was no more than a dozen yards away from the midpoint of one of the magnificent trees. Branches extended from the trunk over the edge of the sloped ground. But in the other direction, out over the valley, the branches extended for insane distances. Serious trees, Barofin commented. The largest trees ever discovered on any planet, our mother said, her eyes bright. She's a biologist. For her, this was great. A mostly unexplored planet full of unclassified plants and animals. I know she felt sorry for my father, but at the same time, this was like paradise to her. We landed in the small clearing, no more than a thousand yards of grass, some of it almost level. Four crew members began unloading our supplies and equipment, and I stepped out for the first time on the planet that was merely called Sector 5 RG 21578-4. RG meant Red Giant, that was the type of sun at the center of this system. The Dash 4 meant it was the fourth planet from that sun. I thought there were a sentient species on this planet, I said as we stepped gingerly out onto the untasted grass. I didn't see any sign of them as we were coming down. They aren't a city-building or road-building species, my father said, trying to sound upbeat. They are quite primitive, according to the data from the robot probes. Their appearance can be very fearsome, but they are harmless, gentle herbivores. Not especially bright, I'm afraid, he added. No culture to speak of, no written language, no music as far as we know. They don't build much, if anything, and they are technologically the equivalent of a primordial civilization. So why are we here? Barofin grumbled, rolling his stock eyes upward to encompass the monstrous size of the closest tree. We are here to make contact with the population and make sure that the Yurks are not moving against these people. My father said, 
Barofin laughed. Why would the Yurks be interested in this place? One of the crew members was standing nearby. They wouldn't be, he said. No one's interested in this place. He shot an openly insolent look at my father. He might as well have added, That's why Prince Ciro has been assigned here, because it's a meaningless planet where the fool will do no harm. My father ignored him, but I could see that the unspoken insult had reached him. His nostrils flared. His main eyes widened. For a moment, I thought he might put this jerk in his place. But then, as I'd seen so often before, my father sagged, turned away, and accepted the humiliation. At least the grass tastes okay, Barofin said, digging his hoof into the blue-green grass. I looked around at the planet of trees. How those huge trees weighed me down. I felt the radical slope of the ground beneath my hooves. It made one feel as if one might fall over and never be able to stop rolling and rolling and rolling. I thought it was an awful place, despite its oversized beauty. What should we call this place? I asked. We can't keep calling it Sector 5, RG215784. We'll follow the usual practice of naming a planet after its sentient species, my mother said. I've forgotten. What are these more or less sentient creatures? They are called hork Bajir, my father said. This is the homeworld of the hork Bajir. Soon we will get a chance to meet one. I saw something moving, coming around the base of the closest tree. Very soon, I think. Chapter 3 Doc Hami My name is Doc Hami. I am Hork Bajir, but I am different, not like the others. I have known this since I was too small to strip any but the most tender bark. My mother said to me, Doc Hami, you are strange. She took me to see the elders in the tribe tree. They looked at me. They spoke to me. He is strange, Elder Mab Kahet said. Yes, he is strange, Elder Ponto Fala said. He is a seer, Mab Kahet said. He was not happy. He was not sad. He was disturbed. What is a seer? My mother asked. The old one, Tila Fashat, opened her toothless mouth and said, A seer is one who is born to show a new way. Many, many seasons pass. Then our father, the deep, and our mother, the sky, say, Send a seer to the people. The people have a need. And so one is born. Who is different. My son is different, my mother said heavily. Yes, the old one said. He is different. I am Dakami. I am different. I am the seer. I am to show my people a new way. But I did not know the new way. The old one said I would know 
when the deep and the sky told me. They would tell me what to do. Until then, I had to wait. Sometimes I thought about things no Hork-Bajir thinks about. What is really within the deep? How high is the sky? Sometimes I would take a small piece of burnt wood from the fire. I used it to make markings on the smooth wood where the bark had been stripped. I made markings that looked like rocks or trees or like the Jabba Jabba monsters that live in the deep. Once I made markings that looked like my friend, Jagil Hulan. This is you, Jagil. That is not me, Jagil said. Yes. See, the wrist blades are shaped like your wrist blades. See that the tail is like your tail. See that the horns are short like your horns. That is not me, Jagil said. I am me. I am here. I am not there. I am not a scraping by a burn stick. I tried to explain, but Jagil did not understand. Maybe he was right. Maybe I was only being different again. One day, I was harvesting in the high branches of an old sif tree. I stripped the bark with my leg blades and held a branch with my hands. I looked up at Mother Sky. I wondered again how high she was. But then, there was something different in the sky. It was not the sun. It was not the moon. It was smaller. It was shiny. It was shaped like an egg, but with branches. It was coming down from the sky. I knew this was Mother Sky speaking to me. I knew this different thing was sent to me. It was different. I am different. I climbed down the tree to the ground. I walked toward the place I saw the sky thing going. It was on the ground, and there were creatures. Not any of the monsters of the deep. Not any of the lizards or snakes of the outside. They had four legs. One, two, three, four. They had a tail, but it was high, not dragging the ground. They had two arms. They had no blades except one small blade on each of their tails. Their horns were very small, and they moved, and there were eyes at the ends of their horns. They were not horns. Horns did not have eyes. They had no mouths. They looked at me with four eyes. I walked closer to see them. They did not move. They only watched. I am Doc Hami, I said. They did not speak. They only stared. I am Doc Hami, I said again. I am Prince Zero. The voice was in my head. It made no sound, but I heard it. It was strange. The words were not words of the hork Bajir, but I understood them. I am Doc Hami, I said again. It's a juvenile, one of the creatures said. Probably about equivalent in age to Aldria or Barofin. Aldria? Barofin? Maybe you should speak with him. Not me, a new voice said. He's covered in blades. But one of the creatures stepped toward me. 
My name is Aldrea, she said. We are Endolites. We would like to be your friends. Suddenly, I knew that my waiting was over. This was the new thing I had been created for. This was what I had to understand so that I could show my people the way. This was why Father Deep and Mother Sky had made me a seer. Chapter 4 Doc Hami I did not stay with the four-legged creatures. I ran away. I went back to my mother. She took me to the elders. The old one said, This is why Doc Hami was born. This is why Father Deep and Mother Sky have sent us us here. Doc Hami must watch and speak, and then he must show us the way. So I went back to the strangers. There were only four now. The egg-shaped flying thing was gone. They had dug into the valley wall. It was not deep, but they had covered the scooped area with the cloth that hung in the air. When the rain fell or Mother Sky made lightning, they stayed in this place. Other times they stood or ran in the grass. They had other things, things without names, things that glowed like Father Deep, and things that made sounds in my head, and things that did nothing at all. I went to them with Jagil. Jagil was afraid. We should not go there, he said. We should, I said. I must watch and listen. We can climb a tree and watch. No, these creatures do not climb. They walk on the ground. So we must walk on the ground too. Jagil was afraid, but Jagil came to me. We went into the clearing. The strangers looked at us. Hello, one said, making the sound that was only in my head. I am Dakami, I said. I am Jagil Hulan. Not enough for the universal translators, one of the strangers said. We need more words before it can begin to translate. One of the strangers, the smaller one with the smaller tail blade, pointed at herself. I am Aldria. I am an endolent. I spoke to you before. Do you remember? Tell you one thing, the other smaller stranger said. You don't want to have to fight these Hort-Bajir. Those blades look very serious. They're peaceful, non-violent. I didn't know what to say. It was confusing. Welcome, Aldria, I said. Welcome, Andalite. Not exactly chatty, are they? The one called Aldria came forward. With her hand, she pointed at the closest tree. Tree, she said. I understood her. Her words were in my head, but the words themselves were strange. I did not know these words. Still, I understood their meaning. Tree. Sula tree, I said in my own words. The stranger called Aldria nodded. She wanted to know more about the tree. I knew about this tree. 
The bark below the lowest branch is too old, hard to eat. The bark above the lowest branch, but before the mislet, is good, but harvesting it is bad. The bark helps the stula tree to grow new stula trees. Only the bark above the mislet may be taken. This is the truth given to us by the old one. Got it? One of the others said. Translation is effective at 64%. Coming online now. We can understand you now. Aldria said. I understand you. Yes, that's because ThoughtSpeak works with universal symbols as well as with specific words. An older stranger said. I looked at her. I was confused. My love, I think perhaps this is a case where we should allow the young ones to communicate. Aldria seems better able to communicate with young Doc Ami than you or I. This young Hortbegir is not an official. I think this is an informal contact. Be careful, Aldria. You too, Barofin. Don't lose sight of this coup. Aldria came and stood closer. Barafan did too. Jagil was nervous. He wanted to run away. But if I did not run, Jagil would not run. Where is your tribe tree? I asked Aldria. Not here, she said. On another planet. I nodded. Yes, not here. What is another planet? Do you see the stars at night? She asked me. When Mother Sky is dark, she shows us her flowers. Well, each of those flowers is a star, like your own sun, only very far away. Jagil said, No. But I said, Sun is sun. Mother Sky's flowers are flowers. They may look like bright flowers, but they are suns. Hundreds of thuns, thousands, mil... I mean that there are more stars than there are trees. They look small because they are far away. I heard these words, and these words made me think very hard. But then... Yes, I said, suddenly amazed. Yes, things that are far away look small. This is true. Far is far. Jagil said, looking alarmed. These stars are very, very far away. Aldria said. And around some of these stars are planets, like this place. Other places with different trees and different creatures. I felt... I did not have words for how I felt. Things that are far away seem small, even when they are large. This idea was like an exploding seed pod in my head. Things that are far away seem small. If Mother Sky's flowers are very far away, they might be very large. They might be suns. My legs became weak. I rested back on my tail. I could not speak. Are you sick? Jagil asked me. Aldria said, we have come from one of those stars. How 
How can you come from so far? We flew, she said. Mother Sky's flowers were suns, and these strangers had come from one of those suns. The things I thought were true were no longer true. I felt, I felt that I wanted to know more. This feeling was not new, but now I felt that this delicate stranger could help me. I could know so many things, so many things. On that day, the old Dakami died. On that day, I truly became Dakami the seer. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, not too much else to say in this one, um, that it was once again Naeem Wyatt voicing the character of Dakami and a few of the Hork-Bajir. Uh, thank you once again, Naeem, and uh, I hope all of you enjoyed that. Um, again, I thought it was pretty good, so <laughs> that's all that really matters, I guess. I'm the boss. Uh... No, nothing really else to say here. I'm running a little bit late, so you know what? We can cut all the other stuff. Um, you know how to reach me. You know, the Twitter at Audiomorphs, uh, the Gmail, audiomorphscast at gmail.com, and of course, Tumblr, audiomorphscast.tumblr.com, as well as my website, theapocalypse.com. That's the apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Ooh, we're speedrunning this one. Uh, use Apple. If you use Apple Podcasts and want to leave me a rating and review, please do so. Um, if you don't feel like it, you, of course, do not have to. I'm not your boss. I'm just the boss of this podcast. Uh, that's all I got for you this week. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>